Nashville, Tennessee is a booze town. We make no bones about that. That's what people come here for. Whether it's long-necked bottles of light beer and a honky-tonk or finely crafted cocktails at a speakeasy. That's one of the reasons it's so easy to be into tiki here. Most of the popular liquor stores cater to craft cocktail enthusiasts with esoteric liqueurs and large varieties of each spirit. The bar menus in town support this by offering well-crafted and cohesive programs. Everything from Prohibition classics to modern tiki is in effect here. Even the dive bars, quote-unquote, have taken to mixing up some tropical options. Yet, notwithstanding this glorious milieu of cocktailia, sometimes you're in the mood for a surprise. So you let the bartender know you're into tiki and ask he or she if he could make you something off-menu. Chances are you're going to hear, I got you, fam. This is sort of like a jungle bird. Or, sure thing, here's my riff on a jungle bird. Other times they just drop their head, look up from under their brow, and shrug out, Jungle Bird? Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki. The fact that this seems to be the go-to anytime pressed for an off-menu tropical is not in any way a slight on the Jungle Bird. On the contrary, it shows how pervasive and transcendent this drink has become. But... Why does the Jungle Bird seem to be the go-to tropical for so many bartenders? I think the reasons are threefold. One, it's easy. Any full liquor establishment will have the basic ingredients to make one, even if it's not a tropical bar. It doesn't call for crazy syrups or specific brands. Two, it looks the part. When someone orders a tropical drink, they expect it to appear tropical. With its scarlet hue, thin frothy head, and prodigious fruit garnish, the Jungle Bird does just that. Last, but definitely not least, it tastes good. Like most simple ingredient drinks, balance and construction is key. But what's unique about the Jungle Bird is that, with a small tweak in either direction, it can pander to the tiki nerd or craft cocktail fan. I know those two are not mutually exclusive, but when I say craft cocktail, I'm referring to the more classic speakeasy-style drinks. Another thing that stands out about the Jungle Bird is its provenance. One of the delightfully enigmatic facets of tiki is how many locales and cultures from which it sponges inspiration. Polynesian decor, underwritten by tastes of Caribbean spirits. But... Like those two versions of paradise that so diligently languish about our American flanks, tiki is truly an influential melting pot. South America, Africa, and yes, even the good old U.S. of A. lend aspects of their respective cultures to the tiki oeuvre. One of the most essential of these contributors, though, is Southeast Asia. Trader Vic famously used Cantonese cuisine as the basis for his food menu, but it's the tropical peninsulas and archipelagos of Southeast Asia that lend so much to the notion of exotica. Perhaps it seems more fascinating to, um, to an East Coast tropics kid such as myself, more accustomed to Latin and African influences, but the impact of Asian culture on the tiki scene is undeniable. Anything from artifacts, to flavors, to the famous Fu Manchu mug. To say nothing of the fact that these are indeed 
tropical islands and jungles. The inextricable and sometimes complicated link between the U.S. and Southeast Asia is on par with any Caribbean or Polynesian nations. Not the least of which is that we happen to have territories in all three geographies. But hey, what's a tropical dot on the map between friends, right? Truly, I believe there is just an ineffable thread tying all the tropics of the world together. It's a way of life that bonds equatorial people all around this wobbly rock we call home. It's neither forced nor inherent. It just is. It can't be gleaned over a five-day vacation, and I consider myself lucky to have grown up tropical. With so sundry a palette from which to paint the portrait of Tiki, I'm glad that this particular cocktail, though begotten in Asia, utilizes a liqueur near and dear to my heart finally blending my Italian heritage into a tiki drink. There's actually a lot of Italian expats in the, tro- expats in the tropics. Uh, in fact, it was Italians and Cubans co-mingling in the cigar factories of Tampa that, uh, where they discovered roast pork on Italian bread makes a damn fine sandwich, which evolved into the Cubano we all know and love. But we'll get to that later. That's a topic for uh, a whole separate podcast. Be on the lookout for my new show, the the sandwich, pod sandwich. <laughs> Meanwhile, we jump into the history portion of this episode where we travel to Malaysia. The Malay Peninsula, stretching out from under Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam, was settled as a trading post by Chinese and Indian peoples around the first century AD. Okay, we're not going that far back. Let's jump ahead a thousand years or so to 1786 when the British East India Company leased Penang Island from the Sultan of Kedah. Kedah? Maybe it's Kedah or Kedah? Sorry, I'm not up on my, my Malaysian. If you know anything about the company, as it was called, you know that was all this highly corrupt giant conglomerate needed as permission to colonize the entire area. By 1900, the British Empire controlled the majority of Malay states, either through direct rule or by certain British ambassadors that, quote-unquote, advised local leaders. During World War II, Japan invaded the Malay states and took control for a brief time before an Allied victory found the nations back under British rule. Through all of this changing of the guards, the people of the Malay nations began thinking, Hey, you know what would be cool? If maybe we just governed ourselves, oh, ho, 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 the powers would be we're having none of that. Till the city-states of Malay finally caught a break in 1948, when autonomy was given to the Federation of Malaya, under British protection, of course. By 1963, they had collectively become Malaysia, sans Singapore, who decided to sling out on their own. I think they did all right for themselves, considering the other famous drink from this part of the world is named after them. Throughout the 20th century, Malaysia was fraught with race riots, political strife, and economic turmoil. It was amid this tumult in the early 1970s where we find ourselves where we so often do when tropical enterprise is concerned. A Hilton Hotel. This time in the southwestern city of Kuala Lumpur. One of the attractions at this location was the aviary bar. From the bar, guests were able to look through a glass panel and watch tropical birds housed in a netted area by the pool, hence the aviary. 
I've been to some pretty cool bar concepts, but this sounds pretty amazing. The closest thing to this I've experienced is coconuts on the other side of Cozumel, where actual parrots walked on the bar while we drank. It was a magical experience for a tropics nerd such as myself, and as much as I can remember, I believe that's the only time I've ever gotten drunk with a bird. But don't quote me on that. The aviary bar is still open in the Kuala Lumpur Hilton as of this recording and still boasts the avian theme. Sadly, from the pictures I've been able to find, the aviary window is no more, but if you know more about this, please message and let me know. Upon opening in 1973, the bar staff was tasked with creating a welcome drink. It was from among it was from among six proposed recipes that Jeffrey Ong's drink was selected and subsequently named to commemorate the birds. Jungle bird. It was even served in a ceramic bird-shaped glass, sipped from an opening in the tail. You know, I had to really hold back a bunch of jokes here, and just nothing seemed to fit, but there's just something funny to me about sipping a drink from a bird's ass. But it, the, the mug and the glass actually is pretty beautiful if you get a chance to see one. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I would definitely do it. But Jeffrey Ong, Ong Sui Teak, a Penang native also known as Jeffrey, was the bar manager at the time... He only worked at the KL Hilton for two years before moving back to Penang. Uh, He continued mixing there for a time, eventually leaving the bar scene for a career in purchasing at hotels, a position he happily worked till retirement. Unlike some of the other famous bartenders from this part of the world, like Dick Santiago or Hank Riddle, whose prolific profile of potables elevated them to tiki royalty, Jeffrey Ong got in, created one of the most famous drinks in the world, dropped his bird-shaped microphone, and got out. Ong's wife told ThirstMag.com that he didn't even drink. He would smell the ingredients to see what went together and only take a small sip of the finished product to confirm. He didn't relish in the bar life and stopped bartending simply because he didn't want to work late once he had a family. Jeffrey Ong died peacefully in 2019 at at the age of 71 in his hometown of Penang, But his contribution to Cocktailia lives on every time someone walks into a bar and asks, Can you make me something kind of like a tiki drink? So, in honor of Ong and all you birds of paradise out there, let's make a drink! Shall we begin with rum? We shall. A Kuala Lumpur training manual from 1982 calls simply for quote-unquote dark rum. Having no clue what the prevailing dark rums were in the 1970s and 80s Malaysia, this suggests it could have been any number of things. Is this referring to any aged rum at all? Or perhaps a Jamaican darkened with added molasses? Or a blackstrap? Martin Kate's rum classification system suggests a black blended rum. I take umbrage because this places dark Jamaicans like Myers and Karuba in the same category as Cruzan blackstrap, which tastes wildly different. We finally get a modern definitive in 2002 when Jeff Berry publishes Intoxica. With a, actually, it's, it's the word Intoxica with an exclamation point, so I think he's re- it's Intoxica! <laughs> Where he specifically names Dark Jamaican as the desired choice. Uh, I get that this category is such a ubiquitous fallback 
of, of rum, this dark Jamaican rum, but that's because it works best with these type of tropical flavors. It may seem one-sided as a sipper, but placed in a cocktail, the notes of dried dark fruit and rich burnt molasses begin to open up. Besides, it fits with this being a fallback kind of cocktail. A well-aged rum like Appleton 12 is technically a dark Jamaican rum, and if you want to class up the joint, by all means. But following the spirit of the law here, I feel pretty confident that your garden variety dark Jamaican tiki rum is what this is referring to. Um, I attempted using a pot still rum, which is Shannon Mustafer's recipe, but thought the signature pot still flavor overbearing. It created an unpleasant, uh, an unpleasant clash with the Campari. This could be due to the fact that she suggests Hamilton pot still black, which I cannot get here. P.S. If anyone has the hookup, please let me know. So I used Smith & Cross. Her version omits sugar, which, and I can't believe I'm saying this, I think it needs to balance out these, the, the pot still funk of this version. But again, I didn't use her suggested rum. My only other caveat is to not use blackstrap rum. I tried it with Cruzan Blackstrap, a brand of rum I have lauded in the past and generally like. I gave the drink, uh, it gave the drink a rusty burnt sienna look, which took away a bit of the tropicalia and added a very hard charred caramel flavor. I think if we let out, if we left out the sugar, it would make a tasty drink, but it's really sweet and it's definitely not a jungle bird. Although I prefer Myers. I used Karuba for this drink because I had it on hand. The differences are negligible. As previously mentioned, our next ingredient offers a visit from old friend of Pod Tiki, Mr. Gaspari Campari. For the full rundown on Campari, listen to our Negroni episode from June 2022. I had some fun on that one. As a quick refresher, pun intended, Campari is an Italian bitter liqueur invented by Gaspari Campari in 1860, and I just can't get enough of saying his name. Gaspari Campari. It's so much fun. Campari has a sort of dried herb bitter fruit flavor and is usually mixed into cocktails or spritzers. I suppose you can drink it straight, but that would be Campari Bizarri. The rest of the recipe reads like a tiki tipple template. Lime juice, unsweetened pineapple juice, and cane sugar syrup. The limes should always be fresh squeezed. Rendering fresh pineapple is a major pain in the ass um, without expensive equipment, so the little cans of Dole are recommended by most professionals, and my sugar syrup is a homemade one-to-one raw cane sugar to water. Jeffrey Ong originally served his jungle bird shaken with ice and then strained, quote, very cold into a bird-shaped glass like a daiquiri. Jeff Berry serves his on ice in a rocks glass, while Martin Kate of Smuggler's Cove flash blends, as is his custom. He seems to like that. I've personally been served jungle birds in rocks and Collins glasses, and both are acceptable. But if I'm at the aviary bar in Kuala Lumpur, yes, I better get that bird-shaped glass. I would suggest not serving it in a tiki mug simply because you don't want to cover up that beautiful scarlet red color. It seems no one serves the drink straight up anymore, at least not where I've had it, opting over ice instead. I think the way to stay purist and modern is to split the difference. Shake, strain, and use either a few pieces of nice square ice in a Collins glass or a big cube in a rocks glass. 
This way you don't dilute the flavor or the color. The first version I tried was Beach Bum Berries from Remixed. I always trust his recipes and knowledge of drinks' historical ingredients. In this, the pineapple really overpowered the drink. The Campari is reduced to a scant background bitterness that does come forward as the drink progresses, but takes a while. The rum is present in effect only, remaining silent throughout the drink. I then moved on to the original Kuala Lumpur Hilton Handbook recipe. Uh, complete opposite of berries. Now the Campari is forward with pineapple trailing behind. The rum is still basically undetectable, and I'm beginning to think that's kind of the point of this one. The color is more maroon than rusty, but it comes with a nice tall foamy head, which is a pleasant characteristic of the Jungle Bird. Lastly, I arrived at the Smuggler's Cove recipe, and ah, this porridge was just right. Perfectly balanced. The Campari bitter comes through, but with a full palate of fruit and herbs. Pineapple is present, tropical, and a thin wave of sweetness shaves across the finish. The dark rum char notes are not hidden, but subdued masterfully amid a symphony of tertiary nuance. This is the perfect version of the Jungle Bird. Here it is. Two ounces of pineapple juice. A half ounce of lime juice. A half ounce of simple syrup. Three quarter ounces of Campari. One and a half ounces of dark Jamaican rum. Shake all ingredients with ice, then strain into a Collins glass with medium square ice, or a rocks glass with one large cube. Now you guys know I don't usually care about garnish unless it directly influences the sensory perception of the drink. This is one of those cases where I feel like the Jungle Bird is such an exemplary version of Tropiki drink that it visually needs the over-the-top garnish. Now Jeffrey Ong used an orchid with cherries alongside lime and orange wedges. I say throw the book at it. Pineapples, limes, umbrellas, swizzle sticks, heck yeah, tiki the hell out of that shit. The Jungle Bird is a great introduction to the tiki world. It's visually stunning, the way red glows in dimly lit rooms, and it's quite tasty without being overly sweet or too exotic. It's here because every genre needs a cliché for validity. It's Tiki's Aquaman. In my humble conclusion, the reason Jungle Bird holds the ubiquitous and indelible place it does in Cocktailia is because we don't hate it, and we don't love it. It just is. And what it is, is a delightfully splendid generic Tiki drink. And that's why it's perfect. Sources for this episode can be found on the blog post for this episode at podtiki.com. I would like to plug our Patreon account. Everybody out there, um, it's for $3 a month, you can go ahead and support the show, and I promise there is more stuff coming on there. Um, I even I got some stuff in the works going through a move this month to uh, not you know staying in Nashville, but just moving to uh, moving a little closer back to the city to some more more walkable areas and um so that is taking up most of my time as you're hearing this but i promise 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 by the fall there's going to be some stuff coming up on the patreon for now it's just basic support three dollars a month easy peasy want to give a shout out to david 
and the Weekend Alcoholics. That's not a band name, David and the Weekend Alcoholics. It's two different groups. David <laughs> and then the Weekend Alcoholics. That's a separate group. Um, you could Thank you guys for supporting the show. And um, although I, if I do ever start a tiki band, it's going to be called David and the Weekend Alcoholics. So... Thank you guys, um, specifically you guys. I want to give a shout out to my social media. Um, I want to. You can follow me at pod underscore tiki on the gram or rum underscore poet for my personal page. Um, across Facebook, I'm also just search pod tiki. YouTube, if you please like and subscribe to the YouTube page. Like and subscribe to. You know, I'm. I always hated the people that beg for the likes and subscribes, but it really, really does help, guys, if you just subscribe to either the YouTube or Spotify or the iTunes, wherever you listen. Just like it, subscribe, leave a, leave a feedback, leave a, 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 a review, one star, two star, three stars, four star, five stars. I don't really care what you leave. Just leave something. Let me know what you're thinking. And, um, yeah, so the YouTube, we have our Inside the Mug, which is our video-only show that is going to... Uh, that is on YouTube, so please follow that. Uh, if you oh, also on PodTiki.com, you can still listen to the Summer Sessions EP Volume One. That is my four-track PodTiki's four-track music EP that we put out. It is um, songs written and performed by myself and produced with my by my lovely wife and played on by some of the best musicians in Nashville and some of my closest friends and and mixed and mastered by local. Um, by local Nashville uh, uh, producers and engineers. So um, a local project with a bunch of people I love, and I'm very proud of it. I think it came out really great. So please go listen to that. Let me know what you think. And if you know anybody who's into that kind of music, who does that kind of music, and you want to run the songs up the stream, and I am perfectly fine with you guys sharing them, and uh, please take them, share them, and let people hear them. And if you know an artist out there who wants to uh, wants to cut some tracks and wants likes them, then you know put us in contact. Let them hear it. Uh, I believe that is oh SurfsideSips.com. If you go to SurfsideSips.com, you can get yourself some nice, sweet ass like uh, glass strawware. I'm I'm always searching for what to exactly call it. It's got to be. It's not just glass, guys. It's like it's high quality, durable, machine washable like custom artwork as far as the glass blowing and the and the 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 shapes and the 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 custom work you can have something written on there if you want to get branded you can he does if you don't want custom or branded stuff andrew is a great guy and he he sends a he makes these little kits together where you can get like a you know a four pack or an eight pack or a straight straws bent straws different sizes different widths i think he even has a carrying case on there to keep them with you it's um it's they're so much better than those metal straws that are so dangerous and you know you don't want to you want to be good to the environment but those paper straws are crap they you know you, you get halfway through your drink and they start unraveling like a broken cigar so don't don't mess with the, with those just go to surfsidesips.com pick out some of your favorite straws you can get tiki you can get regular whatever the thing is that when you get to checkout and you go to that little coupon code area you put in pod tiki p-o-d-t-i-k-i and that's going to grab you 20 percent off your order uh, that can come out to be a lot if you order like a, a couple of those packs or something i mean you know as we move into the fall they, those are great gifts um so yeah so that will get you a discount and we'll let him know that you guys heard it from me 
I believe that's all of my shtick for this week, so I just want to say, most of all, thank you so much for listening. My name is Tony. This has been Pod Tiki. Keep it tiki out there.